Hello, my friend. Thanks so much for being here. I wanted to ask you a quick request before we get started with today's episode. Apple decided to shake things up a bit, and you may no longer be following the podcast, but luckily, there's an easy fix. So real quick for me, if you could double check that you're not missing out on greatness, go to Apple Podcasts and hit the follow button at the top right-hand corner of the Rise and Thrive show page on Apple Podcasts. Once you click the follow button on the top right, you're all set and updated to get the latest conversations for greatness. And if you haven't already, leave a quick review while you're there. Your thoughts matter to me. I read all the reviews and I'm so grateful that you're here. Thanks so much. Let's jump into part two of my interview with Renee Merkus, the Southern Queen of Sales, as she imparts more gold. Prepare to be inspired by her journey, insights, and her relentless pursuit of excellence. So I realized that people buy from people when I was around about 10 years old and my dad and mum needed to buy a new car. There was a Magna on one side of the road, Pintara at another car place across the road on the other side. And so the two cars were really equivalent, features, benefits, all of those things. And it came down to my dad liked the bloke with the Magna. So he then went, I don't know which one's better. They're both pretty much the same, do the same thing, drive the same. So he then purchased the Magna and we then had that for probably 10 years. So, yeah, so that was a, a, a really good example of just the power of humans and you use your, you know, there's emotion in, in purchasing and then you use your, your brain to, you know, rationalise it to, and then you give those reasons, those rational reasons, but it really is centred around uh, the relationships and the confidence and, uh, and that human element. It's really interesting what you said because we might do this without realising it. You make the decision and you say, I want to buy that off that person because I like them. And then you rationalize it and think of all the reasons why you got to justify why you're going to do that. Yep, that's right. And then you've also got to be really careful as a salesperson with buyer's remorse. Like we all, you know, we buy something and we really then go, oh, should I take it back and things like that. So then you've still got to continue your selling. You've still got to continue your activity post even when the, the ink is dry because they could potentially bring it back. So you're always selling. And then even in my role, it's about, well, how do you make sure that 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 project is successful? So Mm. you're constantly continuing on with those relationships. You never leave those relationships because you want those people that you've sold to to become your raving fans. Uh, There was actually a book on that, and I learned that sort of saying 10, 20 years ago, raving fans, because they're your best references. So Mm. use your own network and continue and you never know when you're actually going to meet them. So when you're saying about selling, what I'm hearing is about creating value and benefits for others, right? So I know sales can be a bit of a dirty word for some people because, and I think that comes from where people have been sold something that they might not necessarily want or they do have that buyer's remorse. So what I'm hearing, what you're saying is that you're constantly creating value and highlighting benefits during the sales process and also after the sale, like you were just talking about, you're having, having your raving fans. Oh, it's pre, during and post as well. And then you never know where that network, whether or not they leave one company and they go to another or a different government department. So you're always about your relationships and adding value to them. And, you know, some of the, there's a, one of the methodologies, I think it was the challenger is about, challenger methodology is about how to change their views 
to not not just to sell to them, but to help them learn something, which is about that sales experience of disrupting the customer's current thinking and not just selling them something, but educating them as well. Yeah, right. I like that education process mindset in, in the selling. I just wanted to mention that as well about, because sometimes I think people think selling's a dirty word, but it's not. And I've heard that yeah. expression, we're always selling. Everyone's always selling. And negotiating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on that, yeah. that we're all selling all the time? Oh, well, we are. Well, we're all negotiating. You know, can you do the dishwasher because I'm, I'm busy or something like that. We're always selling and negotiating, give and take. But I don't see it as a dirty word. I, um, I'm really proud of the profession that I have. It's sometimes, you know, I've flown up to Sydney on many occasions just to have lunch with a senior executive and then people say, oh, where are you today? Oh, I'm in Sydney. I'm going off to have lunch. But in actual fact, that lunch took our, like maybe team meetings, several hours to prepare for, mm. and then you've got your whole list of things that you need to achieve and what you want to cover and move forward. And then mm. there's, you know, I sit there at the lunch during having my wine <laughs> and, and take the notes so that I'm really clear and I remember everything and the action items and, you know, then if you can also exceed that person's expectation, so before they've even got back to their desk, you've already actioned something. You know, that's that's what makes the difference with, with me versus a competitor. I don't think that sa- selling is a dirty word where I think salespeople, professional salespeople, which is what I am, we work really hard and mm. we take our jobs really seriously. And I hope that we're respected with, with our target audience and, and our colleagues as well. Reminds me of that meme you see where it says what it's about salespeople. It says what people think we do and what we actually do. So you've really described that because what people think you do is, oh, it's pretty easy and you just go out to lunches and whatever. But you've just described what really happens and some of the background, some of the thinking during and some of the action that you'll take afterwards to get the most out of that interaction, that experience and you're connecting with that person on a human level as well. I love how you connect with the people that you're selling to because it's genuine. You really have a genuine interest in what's happening in their lives, both per- personally and professionally. You're that you're that kind of person. And I think it goes to a little bit of what you were saying earlier about how you know people buy from people that they like and you're not manufacturing that. You're pretty likable. You're effervescent. You've got a great bubbly personality. You're happy and people like to be around that. So I think that that works for you without you having to do much and it's genuine. And then you've got all the discipline and the processes that you add on to all of that. And I think that's a bit of some of the mixture in your cake of success that mm-hmm. really helps you bake a great cake. It's true. I, um, so yes, because I'm such a good cake baker. So domestic goddess, uh, I don't think I am. But yeah, you're right. So very early on, I learned some, uh, it's called targeted account selling, TAS for short. And that's, a, again, a sales methodology that, that, that they show you that you need to do your research, you need to identify who the key people are that you're selling to, and then put a plan together. So for an example, it might say what one of those things is what's a, what's a compelling event? A compelling event is going to mean that they, they need to sort of like buy, but it's not for my compelling event, it's what's their compelling event. And so then you have to do research, you have to take the time to really understand, to be able to answer a series of questions that then you've, you've got, why are they, have they, 
Are they likely to buy? When are they likely to buy? And, and what do you need to do to get them there? So there's been lots of research and I, there was one, I don't know what it's called, but it was talking about where you've got teams and they, they color coded them. And one was really uh, emotional and uh, relationships and evangelists and, and, and forward thinking. And the other team was very much about prove it and then I'll believe it. So more on the engineering, uh, the scientist kind of background. And there was a, a person who wanted to mine an area. So he asked a team to uh, go and uh, make a decision. So they, the team came back and said, no, don't do it. This other, the decision maker said, no, we're just going to mine that area. And sure enough, they found whether it was gold or iron or whatever they were looking for. And then this led this person to then think about, well, what was the team construct? And so typically there's four different colours, but I'll just summarise it, say green and blue and yellow and red. And they found that the, the green and the blue were more on the analytical side, prove it until, I'll believe it until you, you know, I see it type of thing. Uh, typically architects and scientists and then and then on the other side you had the more evangelists and the relationship and just um, more visionary type of people and the team that he had made the decision were more on the uh, the green side and so then what that's all taught us is to actually have a really high performing team you need from both and that's what I actually have. I have people who are obviously from all different spectrums and I try, try to surround myself with people that aren't like-minded for me but are different from me, that can bring different things to the equation that will help propel us forward. Great. That was some of the, the training that I was, that some of the training that's really imperative as well as your gut instincts. Yeah, so you're talking a little bit there about personality profiling and how they uh, attribute a colour to a way of being that some some people tend to be. It doesn't mean they're only that way, but it means they have a tendency towards that That's way. That's correct. And so you're able to understand that people do have tendencies in the way that they operate and those people were profiled. And so what one of the lessons that you've gained out of that is to have a mix of all of those kind of people yes. around you to get the best outcome. Yep. I don't want them all to be of a similar personality type as me. I don't think that that provides a balanced view and I like to actually be challenged as well. The other one that I, whenever I'm going into a heavy negotiation, I dust off uh, Chris Voss. So Chris was a former FBI agent. And he wrote a book with all of his experience on how to negotiate. Because <laughs> I do sometimes feel that we're negotiating, I don't know, with the terrorists and things like that, but it's certainly very heavy and, and these negotiations can go on for months and you're up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're not finishing till 6 or 8 o'clock at night with everything that you've got to achieve with your strategy and your planning and your execution. So Chris Voss, when he writes, I never split the difference, He's, one of his uh, focuses on uh, how to get the how to maximize your negotiation position and I use that extensively within my uh, career and you can do it also in your personal life but certainly within my career to maximize the outcome for my organization and myself as well great Chris Voss the FBI agent wrote that book and that's quite a popular book and you have really gained a lot out of that. Oh, it's fantastic. He does a TED Talk as well. And so I'd highly recommend anyone. Uh, and I should try and use that uh, to negotiate with our kids. <laughs> Is it 
crazy that you could clean up your room today. Well, no, it's not crazy. I could do that. <laughs> but whether or not you will. <laughs> he talks about starting a sentence that way, right? Yeah, yeah, something like along those lines. Is it is it crazy? Is it so he also talks about building a rapport first and with your target audience and then they go, "Yeah, you get me." And then moving on from there. So you must build rapport and uh, and then you can start the true negotiations and sometimes losing a hand because it gives the other person a feeling of power as well. So no actually helps you to, to move forward as well in your life. Within my organisation, we do so much planning to uh, ensure that we are successful. Now, we've heard about some lessons that you learned from your mum and some of the mindsets and the philosophies that you've been able to take away and learn as a young child, by the way. So that's uh, super powerful to, to learn those kind of lessons, like you've got that safety net uh, with your mum and then how your mum had that non-limiting beliefs about you and demonstrated that and showed you, which gave you the belief to to think that you can do anything that you set your mind to, which is magnificent. You've got an amazing work ethic you work very hard. Your job demands that you work very hard. Not all people have that, but I think you got that from your dad who has an amazing work ethic, demonstrated that. He's 80 years old. He's still working because he loves it. Still has an awesome work ethic at that age. Still demonstrating great philosophies and mindsets with the work that he does. So that has influenced you to take on that what's your feelings on that when did you learn that what did you see how have you taken that on do you think that is it just my observation or do you really do think that that came from your dad yes yeah, so my dad is very inspiring i um i watched him i think you don't really understand all of the influences that you have along the way particularly as you're a kid but certainly seeing my father get up, who's a, a plumber, get up on the roof as an 80-year-old man in, in the heat because he either loves it and his goals are bigger than his interferes, I, I've learned that you just keep going. And I had a homemaker as a mum and my father being a plumber. And so when I joined the corporate world, I didn't know how to dress properly, you know, for what suits to wear. And so there was a show, I think, back then, uh, Murphy Brown, something like that. And so there was these women uh, wearing these suits in powerful positions. And so I emulated that. I would go and then go to the shops and, and learn. So you don't know where all your influences come from, but certainly having my father being such a hardworking person and giving us a lovely life, that's inspired me to to work really hard and I've been told by a couple of sales managers that I'm the hardest working person in their sales team and whether or not that comes from the influence of my dad which I know a lot of it has or whether or not that comes because I've been a woman over the last 30 years uh, in a in a male-dominated world that I've had to do a bit more uh, to achieve the same results or sometimes even better it, it's propelled me to have a very uh, high working ethic. But also in my career, the more I do, the more I can earn for my family and the more choices I have. So I'm driven by, I want choices in my life. That's what propels me. So I think other people, you've got to find your mantra, the, the thing that works for you. And that's, that's the primary basis of everything for me. 
is I want choices. So how do I get choices? And so the way to do that is to work hard and to work smart. So I then provide for myself and my family, and that's uh, very important. What a great philosophy. And knowing that, having the awareness of that philosophy and having that drive you in your activities, that's, that's your why. And we all get told that you need to have a strong why and an important why, and yours is very strong and important, and that drives you uh, to achieve the success that you do. And let's, uh, let's not, I was going to say bear any bones, but make any bones, whatever the saying is, you're very successful in your field. I do like it, though, the how you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you are a woman in a male-dominated industry. But instead of going, oh, oh, look, there's heaps of men around and, oh, you know, this makes it hard for me or whatnot, that motivates you to go, great, that's where I'm at. Let's get into it. Let's make it happen and let's achieve. So you've used it as a motivator to, to be successful rather than a reason why you're not. Yeah, I don't, I don't focus a lot. I've never focused a lot that I'm a minority in my organisation. I've never, I've never taken it as a negative. I've, I've never taken it that I'm less than or anything. Yes, I acknowledge it, but I just move forward and I'm equal. Sometimes I'm better. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not, <laughs> being honest. You know, I just, but it, it was never a barrier for me and part of why I love I love Australia is because if you want to achieve something and you want it badly enough and you're prepared to put the work in because it does take work it doesn't just materialize if you put the work in the dedication build the relationships have a great family that supports you and you believe in yourself and you do the personal development that you need to bridge any gap of where you want to be Australia is an amazing place for rewarding the efforts for, with achievement. What a great philosophy. What a great philosophy and so great for our listeners to hear that you've pretty much just summarised your secret sauce and it works and it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to also mention that you do have a love of technology. You love what technology can give and the benefits that people can get by embracing some of the technology that you've sold in the past and that you sell now. So I wanted to ask you about that, and especially these days, well, like you're a big on innovation and, and growth, and so I'm interested in what are some of the trends you're seeing now, some of the landscape you're dealing with, and you know, what do you think is the next one to five years is, is going to happen in the technology space for you? Thanks. I um, I work in digital transformation. So I'll take a step back. So when I was a teenager, there was a lot of people around me that were, their, their parents were born overseas. And so communication, collaboration, all of those things, it was really difficult to be able to call back and to be able, they certainly weren't able to use FaceTime and see their families. And so this experience around me, all I ever wanted to do uh, was work for Telstra. So when I left university, arts marketing at um, Monash, all I wanted to do was work into technology. And I didn't have, I hadn't, I did, uh, it was a four-year degree and I did three years. So I didn't have a lot going for me so to, to, to get into the industry I wanted to get into because I hadn't finished my degree. 
So I used all of the tools around me. I made sure back then I printed uh, my resume on really thick, good quality paper. And then I found a, uh, a person in, in, the, in the newspaper. It was a Telstra job. And it was like, it, it was way beyond my capacity, my capability. But I reached out to that person and then asked them for their help to be able to get into the industry I wanted. And this person then gave me some names in the corporate marketing, in the city, in the CBD, because that's all I wanted to do. And I didn't want to go sideways. I wanted to go straight. I wanted to get to the city, to the CBD, to be where it was all happening. I then got an interview and I was then, I was employed in, in the field that I wanted. And so I've been in technology, ICT, for my entire career. And it's certainly uh, the landscape has changed. And also now what we're seeing with generative AI, artificial intelligence, and how that's going to impact us. We're right, it's, we're, it's not even on the cusp of it. It's now changing our lives. We've had it for years and, and we've used, you know, like with Facebook and things like with the ads that come up. So it's been happening for a long time, but it's just the acceleration of it. And I always like to think, well, where do I want to go with my career? So I'm very happy with where I am now. I've been a sales manager. I've been a marketing manager. I've been a sales executive and I like where I am right now. But you have to also think, well, what is the next phase? What is it that I want to do in the next three to five years in the domain that I work in? And so generative AI is very disruptive. It's where code writes itself, but you still need a human. So therefore jobs, what you needed to do that maybe took two days now takes 10 minutes with a human to review. So there will be job losses. And what's that impact on me from a career perspective? I've now thought, I've thought about, well, you know, if my industry is disrupted, how will we be disrupted and how can I maybe take advantage of that to help with my future career? I think I'm going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be too. And I like the I like the way that you're already thinking about how can you take advantage of that. It reminds me of oh, people have said with uh, artificial intelligence coming in, it is bigger than when the internet came in. So more disruptive than that. Also, yep. it also reminds me about how when the motor car came into existence and horse and buggy, horse and cart were phased out, that was also very disruptive. Jobs changed. So yes. where we say you might have lost, well, yeah, you might have been a, a horse and cart buggy fixer and now you're a motor mechanic or something. So so you, you do need to evolve and change and that's what human humankind has done over many, many years. This is massive. It's exponential. It's going to affect the entire world, I believe. Mm. It's, definitely oh, gonna, definitely. it's definitely going to affect your world. But I love how you're saying, okay, it's coming. What do I need to do? Hmm. What? So where where will I survive <laughs> and thrive? Not just survive, but where will I thrive? So how do I make sure that I protect myself and uh, and then move with the times as well? And I have a plan in place for that. And I also think that there's some jobs that will be impacted more than others. I, as mentioned earlier, people buy from people. But one of the key things that we do is we provide case studies for all the, the executives and we craft those and, and we help connect people. Now, whether or not gener generative AI can do that, I think human touch is still better and, and that's one of the key value propositions that we provide for our target audience. So 
I think that I will, I am being impacted, but I think my job is, and in five years, we'll look back on this interview and go, well, how, how accurate was I? But I think that you've got to put yourself in a winning position. You've got to put yourself in a secure position. And I think I've done that. And I've had choices to move out of the industry I'm in. But I just think that technology is not going anywhere. Technology is accelerating. There's always going to be technology. And I haven't picked one of the one of the streams that's got the, the I think, most sustainable and growth is obviously security, IT security. And I, I didn't want to get into that. I like I like the art of what's possible with with the areas of technology that I'm in that's growing as well. You're more about adding value and benefits with what's possible rather than protecting from a security threat in IT. That doesn't light your fire as much as, as helping no. organisations and people uh, achieve their goals through technology. Now, I know sometimes you're bound by confidentiality agreements and things like that. So I'm not going to ask you for necessarily a specific example, but I would like to know what's some technology that you have sold and how has that made a difference to people or a business or a process? So I sell software and so you've also got hardware, you know, routers and, you know, networking and and things like that. So that's like the cables that join the communication together. I never wanted to do the latter two. I always wanted to be in more of the software or the consulting sales. And software and data, as we know, is the biggest currency, bigger than gold. I wanted to be in these at the heart of transformation because it impacts, like with what I'm doing now, it impacts our kids' lives, it impacts my life and my parents' life, so all of the generations. So it's very rewarding to get paid well for something that you absolutely love. Several years back, I uh, was selling some technology to an organization that had a parent company over in uh, Europe. And some of the benefits that they had listed that from our technology that was going to be created for their organization were quite significant. So by moving to us and spending millions of dollars, they were going to have these key benefits. And at the time, I was talking to the CEO and the CFO, which is Chief Financial Officer and Chief Executive Officer. And if those benefits weren't realised, they would lose their jobs. That's pretty significant on my shoulders. If we didn't have the benefits realisation with the investment, so the return on investment that they had put forward to make these changes, they would lose their jobs. Now, I knew these people. I had been out to to, a, to coffees and would have off-sites. We'd been selling into them for about 12 months. Most of the time I sell to people in corporations that, you know, will have a job irrespective of the outcome. But that made it very personal. So we were able to deliver and let's just say they were able to keep their jobs. But there was a lot on my shoulders for that sale and I'll never forget that one. Out of the hundreds of sales that I've had throughout my career, that became very personal to me. Yeah, I can really see that and it's really great that the CEO and the CFO also had the trust in you based on what you had proposed and the relationship that you had cultivated and generated and how genuine it was that you took on that responsibility as well. So it's not only them losing their jobs, but it would have could have had repercussions for you, but personally and morally as well. And that's that's what I like 
about that story that you've said there that you, you, you took that on and it had was very significant for you in those in those areas. Absolutely. I stayed across all of the delivery. There was another client that I had that their website went down at Christmas and they were on the front page of the news and they hadn't wanted to talk to me prior to this incident. And so I had been in contact with them. And once they, uh, this retail chain had this incident, they then were far more receptive to talk to me. And what, our te- what the technology did at the time, it was, it's called application performance management. So it tracks how your application with, with being hit with lots of load at a particular time. And uh, so it's like having visibility of your, of your requirements or your network and your applications at any time. We rolled this out and uh, they purchased, they rolled it out. And there was a lot of nervous people at the following Christmas because, again, they would have lost their jobs. The whole team, it would have been unacceptable. And it, with the way that it had been deployed, the things that they'd fixed through the year to get their performance right, they said that they were watching on Christmas Day and the following week and they were ended up playing cricket in, you know, in their building because um, there was nothing to see. So we were all waiting with bated breath for the success because of what we had achieved throughout that you know, planning leading up, making sure that the network and everything was stable and that was then another great achievement. That's a big deal because you wanted to talk to them for a while so mm. there goes that that work ethic again and how you sometimes you've got to take the action not necessarily knowing what the outcome is you know what the outcome is that you want is you want to talk to them and let them know what some of the benefits are and whatnot of, and value of, of talking to you you're saying no 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 something oh. happens then because of that activity that you did they're willing to speak to you to go actually uh i think we do we do need you and then so the application uh, so and the reason christmas is so significant i would imagine is because that's where the retail site gets a lot of hits on it and in the past it, it couldn't keep up the previous year so they've spoken to you you've uh, implemented the things that that you need to do to make it a lot more resilient and robust for the next christmas and then they're seeing the results and that's actually given them a happy christmas yeah. because of the because of the work that you did so it does really impact people's lives it lives on like it doesn't just live on for that one Christmas it lives on for sometimes a decade with technology so it's pretty exciting to know that we've I've been able to help all of these different organizations or government departments provide better citizen experience or experience internally and I find that very rewarding I'm really helping propel these organizations to meet their goals or the citizen goals. Yeah, and society. And I wanted to touch on that because we've talked a bit about your personal motivators, uh, but then there's all these other motivators because you often talk to me about the difference what you're doing is going to make. So I really wanted to make sure that we touched on that as well. So thank you for that. That's right. It's my pleasure. It it certainly motivates me. And when you lose a sale, (laughs) because I've lost, I I win more than I lose, but it it just destroys me. it's, it's a very hard pill to swallow once you've done a sales campaign. And you know these people personally. And I had one uh, two years ago that the person who had to ring me, he said, I'm not wanting this call, Renee. It's like, yeah, neither am I. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I think I lost that is because it was during COVID and I couldn't go into the office when we were doing our final presentation. And the technology back then, for some reason, they couldn't, uh, I couldn't see anybody in the room. And so therefore, if we were going a bit off course with our, our, our last final bid, 
I couldn't read any of the room to see whether or not we were on track or not and make any adjustments, then overnight, then come back the next day. So because sometimes you just, that's where you need to be able to be in the room to read the audience or to do it even virtually. So that was a hard pill to swallow. Right, gotcha. So you're very invested in what you do, which is, and passionate, which is absolutely uh, fantastic. So I can see how, you know, life has its ups and downs, careers has its ups and downs. And, and if you're really passionate about something and it doesn't work out, that does affect you. I also know that you bounce back. You, you, you yeah. I think I've heard you say before, gave myself a day to be sad yeah. about that or whatnot. And then it's like, okay, we've got to move on now. So you can't, you, oh, 100%. You, make, you give yourself that time, but it's a specific time and then go, okay, I've had that. I've done that. That's complete now. I've got to move on. That's really powerful. Be kind to yourself. Recognise. See where you are. Wallow. <laughs> <My case. laughs> Don't talk to me. I'm so distressed. And, and I am generally, genuinely distressed about it when that does happen. But at the same time, then it's just like, okay, right, what's next? And then, and then I still check in to see how the how the project's going because you just never know. <laughs> they might just go, oh, that's not going really well. Well, I'm here. <laughs> I'm still here and I'm still here to support you if you need it. So leave the door always open uh, yeah. for the further opportunities to come your way, to come my way. Yeah, that goes to longevity of relationships as well because sometimes – I think with salespeople, they haven't won the sale and that's it. You never hear from them again and you're dust and you're nothing. Um, and that's not a very good experience for the person at the other end where you're not like that. And I think that makes a big difference. And I think that's part of the reason that you're successful. Thanks. I hope so. It's not uncommon for me to have followed a person to three different organizations or for, when I've been in four different organizations over the last 10, 20 years, or they have been, and then I, I reconnect with them think it's again those connections are critical to to my success to what I do with my role the harder I work the more harder and smarter I work the more money I can earn so and the more success I can have so that makes it sometimes really tricky because if you want to go on a holiday you know you're always on when I had maternity leave for our two kids I took five months off um, and then came back full-time because I've had other colleagues that have taken, you know, maybe only come back three or four days, but they are actually working because that's the nature of what we do. And so I think you've just got to work out what's going to work for you. And so I went back full time straight after the two kids because I knew I wouldn't get a break if I'm in sales. It's just the nature of the profession that I've chosen. Another testament to your work ethic and having those goals and that mindset and, and making it work for you. So, Renee, I am a young salesperson, just started in IT, something I've always wanted to do. I'm having a cup of coffee with you and I say to you, what's some advice you can give to me to achieve greatness in my career? Great question, John. Well, you've given us heaps of gold so far in terms of mindset and the activity and all of that stuff. So definitely, but let's say I'm sitting down with with a coffee. I'm a young starter. I'm a young person. I'm in IT. I've just started. I can see you as very successful. I want to be like you one day. And um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And uh, what's so funny? (laughs) (laughs) What's your advice? Yeah. 
Number one would be watch and learn. Watch and learn from those that you deem as successful. I liked how you said that, you, that you're in a career that you want because I think that that's like the number one thing and then you can prosper. So have a watch and learn, a growth mentality. I've certainly had that with more senior executive sales directors and where they've acted as a mentor for me. So see whether or not, you know, get a commitment because you've always got to get agreements for if you want things to, to work out the way um, and then hold people accountable. So ask if, you know, someone would act as a mentor for you or can I check in with you if I, not that I'm stumbling, but if I want some guidance. So have your developer coach, somebody that you can go to, to, to continue to learn because sometimes we don't know what direction we need to go in. So having that can really help propel you and then you take on whether or not that works for you, that advice, and then make your own decisions. Back yourself as well. Be confident and back yourself. Learn the technology. Learn it really well so that then you can hold your own and then also learn different sales methodologies, so such as targeted account selling, read some books, always have a learning ethos about you and how I can personally develop myself as well as also on the technology as well because you need both to be successful. You need that personal development and you need to understand what you're selling and why you're selling it. I love that. Now, that would translate whether in technology or or anything. If you're selling tractors, that will also also translate. So if you're selling sandwiches, that would also translate. So, Or if you're a doctor or something like that, even if you're a young doctor and you emulate if you've seen somebody who's really successful, the way that they are in a hospital, you know, work out what, how they are getting their success. And their success obviously is a very different outcome with patient health and patient lives and things. But how are they balancing their workload? How are they approaching their patients, their bedside manner? What are they seeing that's being really successful in their, their outcomes that they're seeking? So they say success leaves clues. And so you're advice is to pick up on those clues by doing what you just said. Thank you. And I often ask my guests this question. Renee Merkus, what's the question that you wish that I'd asked you today on the interview? I don't think it's an actual question. I want to make a comment. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So when we were talking about what, you know, rise and thrive and and that greatness one of the things that I'm really impressed about is when I talked about chase that dream and that dream, as the dream won't chase you back, you have to chase it. I'm so supportive of what you're doing and I'm so impressed and proud. For a long time, you've been talking about different options of how you wanted to present on a sort of global scale with the wisdom that you've learned and achieved and been a facilitator. And we've, we've thrown around some ideas over the last decade plus. And then the podcast, you know, you started examining and you took the, you did the education, the investment to make your dream a reality with you getting up at five in the morning, not drinking any alcohol as well. None of that because you need to be a high performing individual, which is a lot of, and, and that's what to, to get what you want, you have to put the effort in and you've been doing that. And so I'm so proud of you 
and the feedback we get on this podcast is outstanding and it's hitting people all over the world and it's just going to get bigger and bigger. So my ask for anyone who's listened to this is follow, share. If you think that there's a great person that should be interviewed, suggest them or yourself because this is an outstanding vehicle that you're helping to change people's lives and inspire people. And I'm so proud that you are chasing your dream and you are making it happen. Thank you, Renee. That that means so much to me, so much. I really, really appreciate that you're talking about some of the actions that I've taken to achieve my dreams. And it ties in a lot with what with what you've said. If you've got a dream, you will take the actions. You know, you will get up early because we've got a, a lot to juggle here with all the things that we do. Well, it's the truth. It's it's uh, how I feel. I'm so proud of you. It's it's not necessarily good for me because it takes you away from doing <laughs> domestic jobs, but, you know, tasks and everything. But the overall, it's worth it for your goals and what you want for your life, personally, professionally. Yeah, and for us, and it really lights my fire, so it makes me a better person because I'm mm. doing something that I love and passionate about, and I'm in these conversations. So we've had this awesome conversation today. I'm having these on a weekly basis. Then when I when I edit the episode, I hear it again, and then when it's out there into the world, I listen to I listen to it again. So I'm I'm in this conversation of greatness the whole time, and it's really making a massive difference to my life, my well being, our lives, and I'm so wrapped. We're on this journey together. Now, I can't say this about every guest. I can't say this actually about any guest, but I'm going to say, Renee Mercus, you're inspirational, you're motivation, you're a high achiever, and you're damn hot, and I'm glad I'm married to you. That's the bit I can't tell. <laughs> I can't say to every guest. No, please don't. <laughs> you know, please don't be saying that to any other guests. I might get concerned. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. I can see you being back on the show multiple times. I know our audience is going to love you just like I do, hopefully a little bit less than I do, but just like <laughs> I do. <laughs> Renee Mercus, you're awesome. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, John. Thanks. I love you. Thanks for joining us on Rise and Thrive, Conversations for Greatness with John Mercus. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you do matter. Embrace the journey of personal growth and motivation. Let's go out there and do something great. Follow or subscribe for more insights and inspiration every Tuesday. Until next time, stay awesome.